there within the hour. I checked all the facts that were mentioned at the inquest, the footprints, the absence of physical injury, the facial contortion. He said there were no traces on the ground round the body. He didn't see any. I did. Footprints? A man's or a woman? Mr. Holmes. began perhaps the most terrifying of all the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and it was my privilege to share them. But if ever I felt it a doubtful privilege, it was in this our encounter with the Hound of the Baskervilles. I will tell you what happened. In the fog last week, I caught a dreadful cold. Please excuse me. Fellow under 30, amiable, absent minded, 
And with a favorite dog, something between a terrier and a mastiff. Now, now, just a minute, Holmes. How do you know he's amiable, absent-minded, and as a dog? Well, it's my experience that only amiable men receive testimonials. And he was absent-minded enough to leave his stick here yesterday. Oh, true. Well, what about the dog? Look at the teeth marks on the stick. See? As I say, they're too broad for a terrier, not broad enough for a mastiff. Uh, let me take it over to the light. Yeah. Oh, yes, by Jove, it's, it's a curly-haired spaniel. My dear fellow, how can you possibly be sure of that? Simply by looking out of the window. Oh, and owner on a very doorstep. <laughs> uh, he's a tall, thin man, a bit bent at the shoulders. Oh, yes, and he's propped close to big walls. Come in. Oh, you have my stick. I'm so very glad. I wasn't sure whether I'd left it here or in the shipping office. I wouldn't use that stick for the world. A presentation, I see. Uh, yes, sir. From Charing Cross Hospital? Yes. Ah, oh, then we're not so far wrong. Dr. Mortimer. James Mortimer. Yes, sir. I'm now in practice in Devon at Grimpen on Dartmoor. I came to you because I am confronted with a most serious and extraordinary problem. I have in my pocket an old manuscript. I observed it as you entered the room. It's a, a family document. It was committed to my care by Sir Charles Baskerville, who died some three months ago in Devon. Oh, yes, I remember reading about that. Mr. Holmes, until his sudden and tragic death, Sir Charles was a patient and also my personal friend. He was strong-minded, true, Practical and as unimaginative as I am. But he took this document very seriously and was prepared for just such an end as eventually did overtake What's it. in the document? A certain legend that runs in the Baskerville family. <clears throat> it tells the story of the death of Hugo Baskerville, who held the manor at the time of the Great Rebellion. Hugo, Mr. Holmes, was a wild, profane, and godless man. His name was a byword in the West. It happened that he fell in love with the daughter of a yeoman who held land near the Baskerville estate. This girl avoided him, and one Michaelmas he stole down upon the farm with five or six wicked companions and carried her off to the horse. They put her in an upper room and sat down to a long carousal. The girl, in the stress of her fear, climbed down the ivy that still covers the south wall and set off homeward across the moor. Go on. Some time later, Hugo went upstairs to see his captive and found her gone. And here I think I must quote the manuscript itself. <clears throat> then it would seem he became as one that hath a devil, for rushing downstairs into the dining hall, he sprang upon the table, flagons and trenchers flying before him, and he cried aloud before all the company that he would that very night render his body and soul to the powers of evil if he might but overtake the weight. <clears throat> and at that, Mr. Holmes, this wicked man ran from the house and had his groom saddle his horse and unkennel the pack. You mean you put the hounds on? He did. He gave them the girl's handkerchief and set off full cry in the moonlight over the moor. But good heavens, didn't the other try to stop him? Well, he just seemed to have stood there, stupefied. But then some sense came back into their minds and they rode off after him. 
They found Hugo Baskerville's black mare dabbled with frost and riderless. They found the hounds whimpering in a cluster at the head of a dip. Three of the boldest riders, or maybe the most drunken, rode down into the dip. And there they found the unhappy girl lying dead with fear and fatigue. Poor girl. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that that raised the hair on their heads. Let me quote the actual words again. <clears throat> it was that standing over Hugo and plucking at his throat, there stood a great foul thing, a black beast shaped like a hound, yet larger than any hound that mortal eye had rested upon. And even as they looked, the thing tore out the throat of Hugo Baskerville. Mm. Then, as it turned its blazing eyes and dripping jaws upon them, the three shrieked with fear and rode for dear life, still screaming across the moor. One, it is said, died that very night of what he had seen, and the other twain were but broken men for the rest of their days. <clears throat> the writer ends by counseling his descendants never to cross the moor in those dark hours, as he puts it when the powers of evil are exalted. Great. <laughs> now we come to something a little more recent. The death of Sir Charles Baskerville in June of this year. Let me say at once that Sir Charles was a man of very different mold from his infamous ancestor. Many people had good reason to bewail his untimely end. It's a sudden, you say? Indeed, yes. Not that his health had been good for some time. There was an affection of the heart showing itself in breathlessness and nervous depression. Was he a married man, Dr. Mortimer? He was a widower and childless. Mm-hmm. He lived very simply. His indoor servants at Baskerville Hall consisted of a couple named Barrymore, who acted as butler and housekeeper. They corroborated my own evidence at the inquest about his health. What happened? Well, the facts are quite simple. Every night before he went to bed, Sir Charles used to walk down the famous Yew Alley of Baskerville Hall. On the 4th of June, he declared his intention of starting for London the next day and told Barrymore to pack for him. That night, he went for his walk as usual and never returned. Who raised the alarm? Halfway down Yew Alley, there's a gate that leads out onto the moor. Sir Charles's footprint led there, and there was evidence that he had stood there for a while. Then the footprints continued, but appeared to be those of a man running for his life. Where did they lead? Uh, to the far end of the alley. And there the body was found. Any signs of violence? No, but the face was incredibly distorted. At first, I couldn't believe that it really was Sir Charles. How do you account for the distortion? Well, yes, it's a symptom that is not unusual in cases of death from cardiac exhaustion. Yes, that's true enough. Mm. The post-mortem showed a long-standing organic disease, and the coroner returned a verdict in accordance. Those are the public facts. I see. Then can we now have the private one? He would never go out on the moor at night. One evening, about three weeks before he died, I drove up to his house. He was standing at his hall door. Just as I was getting out of my gig, I noticed his eyes fix themselves on something over my shoulder and stare with an expression of horror. He was so excited and alarmed that I had to go down to the spot and look round. 
But there was nothing. I had to stay with him all the evening. That's when I suggested he should go to London. Uh, Mr. Stapleton, a mutual friend, was also very worried about him, and he agreed with me. And then, at the last instant, came this terrible catastrophe. How soon did you see the body? Well, they had to send a message over. I was there within the hour. I checked all the facts that were mentioned at the inquest, the footprints, the absence of physical injury, the facial contortion. But Barrymore made one false statement in his evidence. Oh? What was that? He said there were no traces on the ground round the body. He didn't see any. I did. Footprints? A man's or a woman's? Mr. Holmes. They were the footprints of a gigantic hound. Great heaven. There are sheepdogs on the moor. No doubt. But this was no sheepdog. What is this alley like? Well, there are two lines of old yew hedge. Impenetrable, 12 feet high. Penetrated at one point by a wicket gate, you say? Yes, which leads on to the moor. Is there any other opening? None. Was this gate closed? Closed and padlocked. How high is it? About four feet. So anyone could have got over it? Yes. Dr. Mortimer, what made you say that Sir Charles had waited by the gate? His cigar ash. He dropped it there twice. Excellent. Watson, this is a colleague after my own heart. Mr. Holmes. Several people have seen a creature on the moor. Something that couldn't be any animal known to science. A huge creature. Luminous, spectral. And you, a trained man of science, believe it to be supernatural? I don't know what to believe. Surely the footprints were material. The original hound was material enough to tear out a man's throat. But it was diabolical as well. Dr. Mortimer... If you hold these views, why have you come to consult me? You tell me in the same breath that it's useless to investigate Sir Charles's death and that you desire me to do it. I did not say I desired you to do it. Oh? Then how can I assist you? By telling me what to do about Sir Henry Baskerville. Sir Henry? Is this the heir? Yes. He's Sir Charles's nephew, the son of his younger brother. He's been traced in Canada. He's been farming there. He arrived at Waterloo in... Uh, well, let me see, um, just under an hour and a quarter. Are there any other claimants? No. The only other kinsman we have been able to trace was Roger Baskerville, the youngest of the three brothers of whom poor Sir Charles was the eldest. He was the black sheep of the family. The very image, so they say, of old Hugo. England became too hot for him and he died of yellow fever in Central America. Henry's own father, the middle brother, died young, so he is the last of the Baskervilles. I had a wire to say that he arrived at Southampton this morning and I'm on my way to meet him. Mr. Holmes, what am I to do? I suggest you call here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and bring Sir Henry with you. I'll do that, Mr. Holmes. Uh, just one more question. You say that before Sir Charles Baskerville's death, several people saw this apparition on the moor. Yes. Did anyone see it afterwards? Not that I've heard. Thank you, Dr. Mortimer. Good day, Mr. Holmes. Good, Good day, day, Dr. Watson. Good day, Doctor. I'm very much obliged to you. Thank you. 
The next morning, our clients were punctual. As the clock struck ten, Dr. Mortimer was shown up, followed by the young baronet, a man of about thirty, sturdily built, with the weather-beaten appearance of one who spent most of his time in the open air. This is Sir Henry Baskerville. Uh, how do you do, Mr. Uh, Holmes? Henry. Dr. Watson. You know, the, the strange thing is, if my friend here hadn't proposed coming around to you this morning, I'd have come on my own. But this, this letter, if you can call it a letter, it reached me by the first post. Sir Henry Baskerville, Northumberland Hotel, Charing Cross. Who knew you were going to stay there? Well, no one. We only decided after I met Dr. Mortimer. But presumably he was already staying there. No, sir, no. I've been staying with a friend. There was no possible indication that we intended to stay at that hotel. I see. Well, somebody seems to be deeply interested in your movements. Um, may I read the letter? Oh, please do. As you'll see, it's only a single sentence. I notice it's made up of printed words pasted onto a sheet of foolscap. Hmm. As you value your life or your reason, keep away from the moor. The word moor is written in ink. It's the only one. Now, perhaps you'll tell me what in thunder's the meaning of that. Any watermark? I wonder. No, no, I, I don't see any. Now, tell me, Sir Henry, has anything else? of interest happened to you since you've been in London? Oh, no, I don't think so. You've not observed anyone following you or watching you? <laughs> I seem to have walked right into the thick of a dime novel. Now, why in thunder should anyone follow me or watch me? We're coming to that. You've nothing else to report to us. Oh, no. Um, well, unless you think it's worth reporting that I've lost one of my boots. Have you indeed? Yes, I, I put them both outside my door last night, and there was only one there this morning. I, I couldn't get any sense out of the fellow who cleans them. It seems a singularly useless thing to steal. Oh, I told him it's bound to turn up again. Uh, now, look, gentlemen, it seems to me that I've spoken quite enough of the little I know. It's time you kept your promise and told me what we're all driving at. I quite agree. Dr. Mortimer, will you be good enough to tell Sir Henry your story as you told it to us? By all means. It begins, Sir Henry, with this manuscript, uh -huh. which has been in the possession of your family for generations. Well, I seem to have come into an inheritance with a vengeance. Of course, I've heard of the hound since I was in the nursery, but I never thought of taking it seriously. But as to my uncle's death, I, I can't, I can't get it clear yet. You don't seem to have made up your minds whether it's a case for a policeman or a clergyman. Precisely. The point we have to decide now, though, Sir Henry, is whether or not it's advisable for you to go to Baskerville Hall. Why shouldn't I? There seems to be danger. You mean danger from the family fiend or danger from human beings? That's what we have to find out. Hmm. Well... Whichever it is, my answer's fixed. There is no devil in hell, Mr. Holmes, and there is no man on earth who can stop me going to the home of my own people, and you can take that as my final answer. Bravo! <laughs> now, uh, now look, Mr. Holmes, I, 
myself to think about all this. Of course. I'll, uh, I'll go back to my hotel. Uh, look, why don't you and Dr. Watson come on lunch with us there at uh, 2 o'clock? Oh, thank you. Is that convenient to you, Watson? That is there. Then you may expect us. Uh, shall I have a cab? Oh, no, no, no. I prefer to walk. If you'll join me, Dr. Mortimer? With pleasure. Well, then we'll meet again at 2. Uh, good morning. Good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Enough, Jeff. Quick, Watson, while I get my frock coat. Watch at the window and see which way they go. What do you mean? Uh, of course. Isn't it clear there are people at that tail? We must shatter them and see what happens. Careful, Watson. They've stopped to look in the shop window. We'd better do the same. No, wait. Look at that handsome cab. It has stopped as well. Following them, that's our man. Yes, let's get a look at him. Oh, curse it, he's seen us. He shot into his cabby. Let's run off. Oh, useless. They've got too good a start. Oh, Watson. If you're an honest man, you can record this and set it against my successes. Who was the man? I've no idea. Did you see his face? Oh, I saw the big black beard. Quite so. Probably a false one to conceal his true features. He is at a disadvantage, sir. You mean he's put himself in the power of the cabin? Exactly. What a pity we didn't get the number. My dear Watson, clumsy as I have been, you surely don't imagine that I neglected to get that. Two sudden old fours, our man. We must find out by wire the identity of the cabman and arrange the question. Well, what about Sir Henry and Dr. Mortimer? Oh, there's no point in following them now. Yeah. Come, Watson. The nearest telegraph office, and then we can drop into one of the Bond Street picture galleries. Ah, Mr. Holmes. Sir Henry, did you know you were followed from my rooms this morning? Followed? By whom? Well, whoever he was, he informed the cabman that his name was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dr. Mortimer, have you among your acquaintances on Dartmoor any man with a black full beard? Um, let me see. Ah, yes. Barrymore, Sir Charles's butler. He has just such a beard. Who is this Barrymore? Oh, his family have looked after the hall for four generations now. Did Barrymore profit at all by Sir Charles's will to Henry? Yes, he and his wife had uh, 500 pounds each. Ah, did they know it was coming to them? Oh, yes. Sir Charles was fond of talking about his will. Ah, that's very interesting. I hope you don't suspect everyone who received a legacy from Sir Charles. I myself was left a thousand pounds. Indeed. And anyone else? There were a number of small bequests to individuals and charities. The residue all went to Sir Henry here. Sir Henry, hmm? how much was the residue? Several hundred and forty thousand pounds. Really? I had no idea that so gigantic a sum was involved. It's a stake for which a man might well play a desperate game. One more question, Dr. Mortimer. If anything happened to our young friend here, you'll forgive the unpleasant hypothesis, who would inherit the estate? Some distant cousins named the Desmonds. James Desmond is an elderly clergyman in Westmoreland. I see. 
Tell me, Sir Henry, oh. have the mysterious events of the last few hours caused you to change your mind about basketball Holmes? Mr. Holmes, they have just made me all the more determined to go down there the very first moment I can. Then I only make one provision. You certainly must not go alone. Dr. Mortimer's going with me. But Dr. Mortimer has his practice to attend to, and his house is miles away from yours. With all the goodwill in the world, he may not be able to help you. Now, Sir Henry, you must take somebody with you. A trusty man who'll be always by your side. Could you possibly come yourself, Mr. Holmes? If matters come to a crisis, I should endeavor to be present in person. But my extensive practice and the constant appeals that reach me make it impossible for me to be away from London indefinitely. Well, whom would you recommend, then? If my friend Dr. Watson would take it, there is no man better worth having at your side when you're in a tight place. No man can say so more confidently than I. Oh, oh, well. Well, now, that's, that's real kind of you, Dr. Watson. But if you'll come down to Baskerville Hall and see me through, I'll never forget it. I'll come with pleasure. I, I don't know how I can employ my time better. Excellent. Now, Watson, mm -hmm. you will report very carefully to me. When a crisis comes, as it will do, I will direct you how to act. Yes. Could you start by Saturday? Does that suit, Dr. Watson? Oh, perfectly. Then on Saturday, unless you hear to the contrary, we shall meet at the 10.30 train from Paris. Must 
be one of the most famous stories of Sherlock Holmes from the inspired pen of Sir Arthur. <laughs> I don't know. I, I heard it once before. It's, it's the sound they have on the moor. What? It was the cry of a hound. The hound of the Baskerville. Even to this day, I tremble when I recall those words. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and it was my privilege to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I'll just refresh your memory on events so far, and then we'll tell you what happened next concerning the Hound of the Baskerville. When Dr. Mortimer had finished his strange story of the Hound of the Baskerville, and how Sir Charles had met his death, my friend Sherlock Holmes persuaded Dr. Mortimer and me to accompany Sir Henry Baskerville to the ancestral home on Dartmoor. While Holmes remained behind in Baker Street, we soon found ourselves driving across the moor to Baskerville Hall. Wonderful country, isn't it, Doctor? Very beautiful. There's autumn in the air now. Hello? What's this? Uh, what, oh, what's the matter? Look, up there on the skyline, huh? Oh, a man on horseback. Oh, with a rifle. Oh, there's a convict that escaped from the prison first. Oh? He knows there's three days now. Warders have watched every road. They've had no thought of him yet. Farmers back here don't like it for another time. Well, who is he then? Seldom, a Notting Hill murderer. And he's somewhere out there, hiding in a burrow like a wild bee. That's all this more needs, gentlemen. I don't know if it's my imagination, but it's getting mighty cold. My wife will be expecting me. Mm -hmm. I stay to show you over the house, but Barrymore will be a better guy than I. Very well. Uh, Perkins, Sir. Perkins, take uh, Dr. Mortimer on with you. Hello, Dr. And thank you for all the help you Fresh arrangements. You mean your wife and you want to leave? 
Only when it's quite convenient to use her. Well, I'd uh, be sorry to start my life here by breaking an old family connection. I feel that too, sir. So does my wife. Well, then what's the trouble? Uh, to tell the truth, sir, we were both very much attached to Sir Charles. And his death gave us a shock and made these surroundings very painful to us. I'm afraid we could never be easy in our minds about to do all again. What do you plan to do? Well, I've no doubt, sir, we shall succeed in establishing ourselves in some business. Sir Charles's generosity has given us the means to do it. I see. And now, sir, perhaps I'd better show you your room. Two years. The residents call me a newcomer. 
but my taste led me to explore every part of the country round. As you can see, I, I'm a naturalist, and some of the locals laugh at my butterfly net and this tin I always carry with me. So, level up to, to, so or, although I've only recently come here, I shoot things for a few men who know the moor better than I do. But is it so hard to know? Very hard. Well, for instance, you see that great plain to the north with the hills behind it? That is the great Grimpen Mire. A full step there means death to man or beast. It's dangerous to cross, even in the dry seasons. But after these autumn rains, it's an awful place. Yet I can find my way to the very heart of it and come back alive. But why do you want to go to such a dreadful place? Uh, well, you see the hills beyond. They're really islands cut off on all sides by the mouth uh, and crawled round them in the course of years. Uh, uh, that is where the rare plants and butterflies are. So one or two paths was an active man can take. Well, I'll try my luck someday. For God's sake, put such an idea out of your mind. You wouldn't have a chance. It's only by remembering very complex landmarks that I can do it. Good heavens, what was that? Clear place, the more. So what is it, man? The peasants say it's the hound of the Baskerville calling for its prey. The weirdest thing I ever heard in my life. And even in India, where... Yes, it's rather an uncanny place altogether. Look at that hillside. Mm. What do you make of those circular wings of stone? What are they? Sheep pens? No, they're the homes of our worthy ancestors. <laughs> it's quite a town. When was it inhabited? Neolithic man. No date. Mm. Oh, oh, excuse me. Uh, did you see that butterfly? It's a cyclopides. Uh, very rare. You scarcely ever see them in autumn. Uh, I must try and get it. I say, Mr. Sevelton, do be careful. You'll tell me how dangerous it is. Well, he knows what he's doing. Good heavens, I Go back. Go straight back to London. Why, 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 why should I do that? I can't explain, but for God's sake, do what I ask you. Go back and never set foot on the moor again. But I've only just come. Oh, quietly. I'd rather come back. Not a word of what I've said. <laughs> Would you mind getting me that orchid among the mare's tails? We're very rich in orchids on the moor. They... Getting rather late for them. Beryl, you've introduced yourselves, I see. Yes, I was telling Sir Henry that the orchids are nearly over. That's not Sir Henry Baskerville. No, oh. only a humble commoner. I'm his friend, Dr. Watson. Then we've been talking at cross purposes. Why, you hadn't very much time to talk. I, I talked as if Dr. Watson were a resident instead of just a visitor. It can't matter to him whether it's early or late for orchids. Oh, never mind. Do please come and see Merritt's house, Doctor. No, really, thank you. I, I, I promised Sir Henry it must be a pleasure deferred. Uh, au revoir, Doctor Watson.
Ah, Henry. Is he wrong? I'm not sure. There was a creaking in the passage outside. I saw a candle and a shadow. Oh, that's disgusting. Mrs. Barrymore, 
Why have you come here? Oh, let me speak. It's my doing, Sir Henry. He's done nothing except for my sake. I asked him to do it. Well, speak out, then. What does it mean? My brother is starving out there on the moor. Your brother? We can't let him perish at our very gate, sir. Our life is a signal we have food for him. Then your brother is... The, the escaped convict, sir. Seldom. The criminals. Well, incredible, is it? My true, Barrymore? It is for Henry every word of it. Well, I, I, I can't blame you for standing by your own wife, but you must see the man's a public danger. In a very few days, sir, he'll be on his way to South America. If he can only lie quiet till the ship's ready for him. I beg you not to let the police know he's still on the moor. <laughs> what do you say, Watson? Well, if you were safely out of the country, it would relieve the taxpayer of a burden. Mm. That's true, I suppose. I guess we're aiding and abetting a felony. Eh? Watson? Yes, I'm afraid, sir. All the same, I... Well, I, I don't feel now I can give the man up and... That's an end. Oh, sir. Sir Henry. Yes? What is it now? You've been so kind to us, sir, that I... I should like to do the best I can in return. I... I know something. What do you mean? It's about poor Sir Charles's death, sir. What? Do you know how he died? No, sir, I don't know that. Well, what then? I know why he was at the gate. Why? To meet a woman. A woman? Yes, sir. Oh, what was her name? Well, I can't give you that, sir, but I can give you her initials. They were L.L. How do you know that? Well, sir, your uncle had a letter that morning. It was from Coombe Tracy. An address in a woman's hand. Well? I thought no more of the matter, sir, but the other day my wife was cleaning out Sir Charles's study and she found the ashes of a burned letter in the back of her grate. Most of it was charred to pieces, but there was just one slip you could still read. Well, what did it say? It said, Please, please, as you are a gentleman, burn this letter and be at the gate by ten o'clock. And the initials were L.L. And you've no idea who L.L. is? No, sir. Hmm. Very good, Barrymore. You and your wife may go. Thank you, sir. And God bless you, sir. off into the moor and never came back. Oh, I'm sorry. A any news of Sherlock Holmes? Oh, very little. He acknowledges my reports. He doesn't say much. Oh, Mortimer, uh, you know, is there a woman living around here with the initials L.L.? Not that I know of. L.L.? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, of course there is. Laura Lyons of Coombe Tracy. Who is she? Married some artist fellow called Lyons who came sketching on the moors. 
He walked out on her, and now the poor girl hasn't a penny. How does she live? Several of us have helped her, Stapleton, Sir Charles, so have I. She's managed to start a little typewriting business. Why do you ask? Oh, just curiosity. Uh, I don't think we've met, Mr... Uh, doctor. Dr. Watson. Oh, how do you do? How do you do? It was about the late Sir Charles Baskerville that I've come to see you. What can I tell you about him? You knew him, didn't you? Yes. I owe a great deal to his kindness. Did you correspond with him? What is the object of this interrogation? To avoid a public scandal. Yes. I did write once or twice, Sir Charles, to acknowledge his generosity. How did he know enough about your affairs to be able to help you? Through my friend, Mr. Stapleton. Did you ever write to Sir Charles asking him to meet you? Really, sir. Certainly not. Not on the very day of Sir Charles' death? No. Surely your memory deceives you. Didn't you write, please, please burn this letter and be at the gate by ten o'clock? Yes. I believe that if I could see him, I could gain his help. Well, what happened when you got there? I never went. Mrs. Lyon. I swear it on all I hold sacred. Something intervenes to prevent my going. What? You probably know that I made a rash marriage and have had reason to regret it. Yes, I've heard something of the kind. My husband has made my life one incessant persecution. Oh, dear. I've learned that there was a possibility of regaining my freedom if certain expenses could be met. Mm. And I thought that if Sir Charles heard the story from my own lips, he might help me. Then why didn't you go? Because I received help in the interval from another source. Then why didn't you write to Sir Charles and explain? I was going to. Then the next morning, I heard that he died. Ah, 
I'd better send a report by telegraph. No, I'll do better than that. I'll go up onto the moor this evening. Well, I'll come with you. No, I can't permit it. Huh? That was Holmes's last word to me. Keep him off the moor, especially after dark. And it'll be close on dark by the time I get there. But, my dear fellow... Don't worry, sir. don't worry. I'll take my revolver. I can look after myself. You realize, Sir Henry, this fellow may be the key to the whole mystery? He gave us the slip in Regent Street thanks to his handsome cab. Well, he won't do it up there. Ah, who knows? For once I may succeed where even home has been. dark recesses of the hut and waited for the coming of its No doubt at that supreme moment when you charged into the empty house. Oh, how in the name of wonder did you get here? I thought you were in Baker Street working on that case of blackmailing. That was what I wished to. I've been over to see a Mrs. Laura Lyons, cum Tracy. Well done. We've obviously been working on parallel lines. What did you learn? Well, she made an appointment with Sir Charles at the gate. She admits that, sir. She wanted money to help her divorce. What? She never went. Something happened to make her change her mind, but she wouldn't tell me what. She also said that she first got in touch with Sir Charles through Stapleton. Oh, now that's important. It bridges the gap. You're aware, I suppose, that there's a close intimacy between the lady and Stapleton. Oh, I didn't know that. There's no doubt about it. Now, this puts a very powerful weapon into our hands. If I can only use it to detest Stapleton's wife. His wife? Why, yes. The lady who passes for his sister is his wife. Good heavens, why the elaborate deception? Because he foresaw that she'd be more used to him as a free woman. Then, is he our enemy? Was it he who dogged us in London? So I read the riddle. And the warning letter, that must have come from her. Exactly. But Holmes, how do you know this woman's his wife? Because he so far forgot himself as to give you a true piece of autobiography when he first met you. There's no one easier to trace than a schoolmaster. Then what? Stapleton asked. It is murder, Watson. Refined, cold-blooded, deliberate murder. <laughs> What's that? Where is it? The home! Great heavens of where too late! Come, Watson,
fine, cold-blooded, deliberate murder. My God, what's that? Where is it? The hounds! Great heavens of where too late! Come, Watson, come! It was a race against time, against evil, against I knew not what. In this, the most uncanny of all Sherlock Holmes cases. Watson is my name, Dr. Watson. And I shared the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And since in my excitement I may have anticipated somewhat, let me first go back and recall the chain of detection that led Holmes to this crisis. And then I will tell you what happened finally in our encounter with the Hound of the Bastables. which might befall him if the legend of the Baskervilles came true. But Holmes was convinced that behind it all was cold-blooded, deliberate murder by Stapleton, the apparently mild lepidopterist schoolmaster. Our necks were closing on the murderer. Even the Stapletons were closing on his victims. Henry Baskerville. We were just about to leave the lonely hut where Holmes had been in hiding for all these days when... The hounds! Great heavens of where too late! Come, Watson, come! You hear that? Why don't we go and seize him at once? No. Our case is not complete. One false move and he may escape us yet. All we can do now is to perform the last offices for our poor friend. Come on, Watson. Yes. Help me to turn him over on the way back. And then we can... Oh, of course, now I see it. Dave Barrymore, 
some of these suits and better. More must have passed them on to sell them. Then the clothes have been the poor fellow's death. Oh. Obviously, the hound was laid on from some article of Sir Henry's. It's a boot that was stolen at the hotel. Probably. Ah, that's the cause of all the mischief. 
the wicked Hugo, who started the hound of the basketball. We're not likely to forget him. Dear me. He seems a quiet, meek-mannered man. But I dare say there was a lacking devil in his eyes. Well, I, I think we could manage another bottle of hock, don't you? Oh, thank you. I'll go get you from the cellar. I won't bother Barry more tonight. His wife's so upset with the news about Seldon. What do you mean? That portrait of Hugo Baxter. Look at it carefully. Is it like anyone you know? No. Good heavens, it's stapled. Ah, it might be his portrait. Yes, it's an interesting example of a throwback, both physical and spiritual. A fellow's a basketball. Really? With designs on the success. Yes. We have him, Watson. We have him. <laughs> Here we are. Well, you look like a general planning a battle with his chief of staff. That's exactly the situation. Oh. Well, what are my orders? Uh, I understand that tomorrow night you are engaged to dine with the Stapleton. Yes. Yes, they're, they're very hospitable people. Well, thank you. I, I hope you'll come, too. Oh, I'm afraid Watson and I must go to London. To, to London? Tomorrow? My dear fellow, you must trust me implicitly. Uh, tell your friends that we should have been happy to come with you, but that urgent business has called us to town. Will you give them that message? Well, if you insist, Mr. Holmes. Uh, one more direction. I want you to drive to Merripit House, but send your trap back and let them know you intend to walk home. What's that, home? Walk home alone across the moor? Yes. But that's the very thing you told me not to do. This time you must. But whatever you do, stick to the path that leads from Merripit House to the Grimpen Road. Don't leave that path for an instant as you value your life. the trap took us to the station of Coombe Tracy. But instead of taking the train, Holmes inquired at the station master's office and was given a telegram. What have you got there, Holmes? Ah. Capital. Listen, Watson. Wire received. Coming down the unsigned warrant arrived by 40... Lestrade. You sent for Lestrade? Yes. He's the best of the professionals. I think we may need him. So we're not going to London? No. But everything depends on Sir Henry believing that we have gone. All we have to do is to keep out of the way. And I think we might well employ our time by calling on your acquaintance, Mrs. Laura Lyon. When she learns of the deception that Stapleton practiced on her, I think the result may be of interest. Wife? What do you mean, Miss White? Mr. Stapleton is not a married man. I'm afraid you're mistaken, Mrs. Lyle. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, and if you cannot... I've come prepared to do so. Here is a photograph of the couple taken in York four years ago. Let me see. It's endorsed Mr. and Mrs. Vandeleur. Oh. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Ask me what you like. I'll hold nothing back. Very well. 
Was the sending of the letter to Sir Charles suggested to you by Staples? He dictated it. So that you could meet the legal expenses of your divorce? Yes. And then after you had sent the letter, he dissuaded you from keeping the appointment? Yes. He told me it would hurt his self-respect if anyone else found the money. And later, after Sir Charles' death, he made you remain silent about your appointment? He said that if I spoke, I should be suspected. Oh, well, I think on the whole you've had a very fortunate escape. You had him in your power and he knew it. And yet you're alive. <laughs> I still can't believe. I assure you, Mrs. Lyons, for several months you've been walking on the edge of a precipice. Come down now. 
His life depends on his coming out before the fog is over that path. If he isn't out in a few minutes, the path will be covered. We shan't be able to see our hands in front of us. Why? Why doesn't he come? The door is coming now. Quiet.
as I thought. Not a sign of him. He'll have heard our shot and escaped. Oh, this door's locked. Keep still. Listen. Do you hear that? Stand aside and be ready to rush in. I'm going to kick this lock. Rich. Quick, Watson, help me untie her. Get that gag out of her mind. Oh, look at that whiplash on her neck. Some brute. Yeah, madam. Tip this brandy. I see. I see his face. He cannot escape us, madam. Come in, I'm in Sir Henry. Yes. I'm bound. Dead. That's where he kept the hound, and that's where he'll be. But look at the fog. No one could find his way into Grimpen Mire tonight. Yes, he couldn't see the guy he wanted tonight. How do you mean that? We planted them together to mark the pathway through the mire. Oh, if only I could have plucked them out today. Then you'd have him at your mercy. Well, it's no use our going after him till the fog lifts. Miss Fred, will you stay on here? Certainly, Mr. Holmes. Watson, we must take Sir Henry back to Baskerville Hall. This is Stapleton. If the weather is cleared, we will call to you tomorrow morning. The next morning, Mrs. Stapleton guided Holmes, Lestrade, and myself to the edge of the bog. We left her standing on the firm, peaty soil and began to follow the small wands that showed the zigzagging path through the foul quagmire. Rip clutched at our heels as we walked, as if some malignant hand was tugging us down. Well, the early there, Watson. You need a good firm London pavement every time. Hello? What? Look, Watson. There's something in the mud. Just. Just to the right there. Now leave me soon, you'll get caught. Look at this. An old boot. Why risk your life for that, sir? Look at the maker's name, Watson. Yes. Myers, Toronto. Is that... Wasn't that worth a mud bath? Sir Henry's missing boot. The one that was stolen from his London hotel. Stapleton must have used it to set the hound on his track and then thrown it away in his flight when he knew the game was up. You're as far as you then. Yes. Come on. Let's see what else we can learn. But more than that, we were never destined to know. When we reached the firmer ground, we looked eagerly about us. There were many traces of Stapleton's habitation. The chain where the animal was kept, the bones that it gnawed, the remains even of Mortimer's poor little curly-haired spaniel, and the tin of luminous paint that had been used to make the house 
glow with fire. But of the man himself, no sign met our eyes. If the earth told a true story, then he never reached that island of refuge. Somewhere in the foul slime of Grimpenmire, this cold and cruel-hearted man is forever buried. Towards the end of November, Sir Henry Baskerville and Dr. Mortimer were in London on the first stage of a voyage round the world to calm Sir Henry's shattered nerves. They called on us one raw and foggy afternoon, and the four of us sat and talked round a cheerful fire in our sitting room in Baker Street. Holmes, there are still one or two things about the case that puzzle me. I'll do my best to clarify them. Well, was Stapleton really a relative of mine? Oh, yes, beyond all question. He was the son of Roger Baskerville, old Sir Charles's younger brother, who fled under a cloud to South America. Ah, and Mrs. Stapleton? She was a Costa Rican beauty by name Beryl Garcia. He stole some money, changed his name to Vandeleur, and brought her to England with him. And was his knowledge of Lepidoptera all a pretense? He seemed such an expert. No, that was the one true thing about him. The British Museum recognized him as an authority. Why, he even has a moth named after him. <laughs> the Vandeleur. Mm. Tell me, where on earth did he find that fearsome hound? In London. He bought it from Ross and Mangles, the dealers in Fulham Road. He took it down by the North Devon line and walked it over the moor so as to get it home without exciting notice. Mm -hmm. But then one thing upset his plans. He had to decoy Sir Charles onto the moor at night, but his wife refused to help it. Threats and even, I'm sorry to say, blows failed to move her. So, as we know, he laid his plot with Mrs. Laura Lyons. But did neither of these ladies suspect anything? Probably both did. But they were both under his influence. And his main accomplice was a dumb animal who could never give him away. Indeed. Then your arrival on the scene, Sir Henry, brought him to London with his wife. He dared not leave her behind. Then she sent me that note of warning. Yes. I knew all along that it had been sent by a woman. How could you know that? You remember when I examined that piece of notepaper for watermark? Yes. In doing so, I was conscious of the scent known as white jessamine. It's very necessary for the criminal expert to be able to distinguish between the 75 perfumes. Mm -hmm. Mr. Holmes, tell me, was Mrs. Stapleton in love with her husband? She certainly feared him. She may have loved him. The two are by no means incompatible. But on the day of the crisis, she turned against him. Well, now, gentlemen. May I suggest that for the rest of the evening we turn our thoughts into more pleasant channels? <laughs> I have a box for Lee Huguenot. Oh, have you heard the directions? No, no, I don't. Perhaps we can stop at my
The Hound of the Baskervilles is one of the most famous of the stories of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And now you've heard part three, you know how it ended. My name in real life is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Felix Felton wrote the script for this production by the BBC from London. And of course, I look forward to the pleasure of your company again very soon for more of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes.